Chapter 23 They have been, they are, they will be. Evan got to Jimmy's house, made a beeline to the guest house, and tossed his I-Magnon box on the couch. He stopped dead in his tracks when he saw who was sitting on the bed. Huckabee appeared to be decaying. The skin on his face was mottled. His hair was falling out in large clumps. I'd love to show you why we can't be friends, Evan, Huckabee said in a slow, rumbling voice. Evan's heart almost stopped from fear. He knew Huckabee wasn't real, that he was just a projection from Evan's imagination, because Evan being here was wrong. Evan heard thunder, the really loud kind. That startled him even more. He hurried out of the house and looked up just to make sure he wasn't going completely insane. The once clear blue skies were now filling with dark clouds. That was real, not a figment of his imagination. Evan was confused, since it had been sunny out just a few moments ago. He peered at the sky, watching strange, dark clouds beginning to swirl and converge on one another, like ghosts fighting for celestial supremacy. He heard a distant boom again, and thought back to what Coop had said about the future being immutable. He knew that he must not have stayed here. After all, Dorothy had remained alone, made a fortune, and now lived in tomorrow. Evan went back inside, relieved to see Huckabee gone. Specters tended to do that, after all. Evan carefully dressed, fighting with certain aspects of the starched shirt and particularly the tie. When he looked at himself in the mirror, he was pleased at how well he cleaned up, despite the smattering of gray in his hair. He wasn't exactly Humphrey Bogart, but felt he was at least on the level of Robert Cummings when it came to tuxedo presentation. Evan reached into a pocket of the pair of black wool trousers he'd worn from 2021. He found the dried rose petals Gwen had given him and which he'd kept near his bed since he'd arrived. He stored them in a small napkin, mainly out of superstition. Should he carry them with him? He figured he might as well. It couldn't hurt. He headed over to the main house and found Jimmy sitting in the living room, also dressed in a tuxedo, though he wore it much more elegantly than Evan. Ready for a little party tonight, Evan? Jimmy asked, standing up and tugging at his jacket. I am, he replied. You picking up Gloria? I sure am, Jimmy smiled. Waiting for the limo now. You're headed to pick up that wonderful Dorothy? Sweet girl, Evan. She's as good as they come. Don't let her go, or you'll regret it the rest of your life, he said, a warning that hit Evan right in the gut. I'll see you there, Evan croaked not able to talk about Dorothy without becoming emotional. He couldn't believe it. This was it. He was about to say goodbye to the woman he loved, more than likely for eternity. Be careful out there, Jimmy said with a wink, then headed out. Evan made his way to his Ford, parked out front, sure he'd never be back here at Jimmy's house again. Coop could be incorrect, but he didn't think so. 
Evan looked up at the sky, still roiling with that bizarre mix of gray, purple, blue, and orange. He made his way to the valley and checked his watch with a grim frown. It was almost six. Traffic was heavy. There was no way he was going to make it on time. Evan finally pulled up to Dorothy's house at 6.15. He jerked the parking brake on and remembered the film cans in his back seat. He'd forgotten to toss them into a trash can, as Frank had asked. Evan stuffed them under a floor mat. Anyone peering in the back window would still see them. He hurried to the front porch. Dorothy's parents were happy to see Evan and demanded he have a piece of pie while he waited for Dorothy to get ready. You can't go to a party on an empty stomach, Ellen reminded Evan. He didn't have the bad manners to remind her there would be food served at the event. Don Page was also pleased to see him, though Evan could barely look at either parent. For a second, he allowed himself to believe that he could stay, marry Dorothy, and make a life for himself here. But that isn't in the cards, is it? He mused sadly. Dorothy entered with Richie. Both were beaming. Her dress was beautiful beyond words, a pale silk beige that shimmered, and her shoes were shiny black with low heels. How do you like it? She asked, completing a perfect swirl. I think it's beautiful. What's wrong, Evan? Go over there and stand next to her. I want to get a picture of this. Ellen commanded. Evan stood uneasily and joined Dorothy who positioned Evan's arm around her waist. She stood so close to him, he could feel ripples of electricity from her. It was intoxicating. Richie hurried over to join them in the picture, and he hugged Evan as close as he could. I changed my mind about you, mister. I'm willing to give you a sort of chance with my mom. I'm so glad you're with us now, Richie said. And it was all Evan could do from bursting into tears. I'm glad I'm here too, sport, Evan managed. Don Page used one of those old Spartus Spartaflex cameras with the viewfinder on top. He kept trying to focus on everyone, which seemed to take forever. Okay, hold on, he muttered. Evan, Dorothy, and Richie stood there for what seemed like an eternity, while Don Page lined up his focus points, and then a huge flash went off the flashbulb crackling. Yay! Richie shouted, and pointed to the small wisp of smoke that curled from the flashbulb. You ready, Prince Evan? Dorothy asked coyly, then turned and casually alerted her parents. This is my first of many important Hollywood parties. Get used to it, folks. Evan walked her to the door and took one last look over his shoulder at the Page family. Richie was waving broadly. Ellen had her hands clasped in front of her, and Don wiped tears from his eyes. Evan grimaced. He slowly stepped over to them and dropped to his knees, giving Richie a long hug. Then he stood and shook Don's hand. Finally, he embraced Ellen. Goodbye, he told them. Goodbye? Got news for you, son. War's over. You're not going anywhere, Don smiled. 
Evan nodded, holding back tears, and walked out. When they reached the car, he opened the door for Dorothy. She stepped in and gracefully took a seat. He jumped in on his side, cranked the V8, and they were off. On the drive over, they talked about everything. Evan encouraged Dorothy to maintain her stock investments in IBM and Coca-Cola, and if she had more money, to increase them, exponentially if possible. She told him she'd soon be saying goodbye to the railhead to attend school full-time. If Butch needed extra help now and again, she'd go in. But for the most part, she was intent on making her future a bright one. They arrived 30 minutes later at Paramount Stage 4, pulling up to an area marked with rope and an awning. Evan rolled up in his Ford, which looked out of place with the Cords, Cadillacs, Lincolns, Rolls Royces, and Bentleys. Two uniformed valets opened their doors, and they headed toward the huge entrance. Evan noticed Dorothy was elbow to elbow with Vivian Lee and Clark Gable, while he was flanked by John Wayne and Errol Flynn. Waiters in white coats holding trays of champagne and caviar attended to the well-dressed guests. The rich and beautiful of Hollywood mingled easily with one another. The royalty of a bygone era, now animated and alive under Evan's nose. Evan scanned the enormous stage, looking over the heady scene of wealthy, beautiful people mingling. Products of one of the greatest machines ever created. The Hollywood studios in 1946 exerted more power than General Motors and U.S. Steel. Evan's appreciation of the time and place he was in was interrupted when he spotted Strickler across the room. He was reminded that the night was far from over. A nearby dance orchestra began to play cheek to cheek. Evan took Dorothy's hand and bowed. May I have this dance? She nodded happily, and together they glided toward the roomy dance floor. As Evan watched her move, his heart fell apart all over again. He could not stand the idea of losing her. Dorothy was so elegant and danced with such grace. Her closeness was exhilarating. She smelled of fresh jasmine and strawberries. Did I tell you how beautiful you look tonight? He asked softly. Only once, but I'll give you an hour to cut it out. She answered and kissed him sweetly on the cheek. Though he was enjoying the moment immensely, he found his gaze constantly shifting to Strickler. Evan was astonished he was here tonight. Somehow, Evan had pictured him skulking around the negative vault throughout the evening, trying to find his version of the film. It bothered Evan that Strickler's lapdog from hell, Jack, wasn't present. That meant he could be anywhere. Jimmy and Gloria walked through the massive doors, and every eye in the room was fixed on them. Applause broke out, and the music stopped. Jimmy gave a slight bow and clapped in return. Errol Flynn and Clark Gable passed next to Evan. Errol took a look at Dorothy and stopped as any red-blooded seahawk would. Hello, old boy. Could I pick you up something from the bar? I'm quite familiar with it. He eyed Dorothy. 
And you, young lady, look a bit parched. A Gibson or Gin Ricky would do you right up. Dorothy smiled. How about a champagne? She asked, and Flynn looked gobsmacked. Champagne seems like a terrible waste at a party, but champagne it shall be, Errol said, and gracefully made his way to the bar. Dorothy looked back at Evan with an exasperated expression. When I tell Mom Robin Hood got me a glass of champagne, she'll pass out. Dorothy giggled. Evan laughed with her. Coop pulled into the Paramount parking lot, his Dodge's running boards almost scraping the ground from the weight of the heavy machines he had packed. He trolled the lot and spotted Evan's blue Ford parked nearby and began the ugly, sweaty work of transferring his machinery into Evan's car. The Ford's trunk was just big enough to carry the battery and generator, the back seat barely providing enough room to hold everything else. Coop poked a hole behind Evan's back seat, he was sure Evan wouldn't mind, and snaked wires through to connect the main power generators to the batteries, which were full but losing power with every minute that passed. This era's technology was superior to that of 1899, and Coop thanked God for that. He checked his connections, then turned everything on. The machines glowed to life. He breathed a sigh of relief. His contraptions were not meant to be portable, but he had nothing else that would serve his purpose. Coop wiped sweat from his brow with a handkerchief. He smoothed down his tuxedo, closed Evan's car doors, and made his way to the party. He could hear music lilting into the darkened parking lot and mused to himself. Hollywood, where dreams are made. Evan noticed that he was standing near Gregory Peck, who was chatting amiably with Cary Grant. He leaned in to eavesdrop. Fred sent me this script the other day about this whale, Gregory was saying. The filming of this is a few years off, but he insisted I should take the role. A whale? Who wants to see a movie about a whale? Cary Grant scoffed. Never act against kids or animals. Remember that old rule. If I ever had to act alongside a monkey, I'd have to rethink my career. Right. I think I'm going to pass, Peck said. Evan turned to Peck. Excuse me, Mr. Peck, I know that script, he said nervously. You do? Peck lifted his eyebrows. Based on the book Moby Dick by Herman Melville? It's a classic. I've heard of it, of course. Read it at Berkeley, Peck admitted. Trust me, sir. You'll want to do this picture, Evan insisted. A seminal role for you is Captain Ahab. A lunatic, yes, but compelling. Yes, that's the role. Ahab. I doubt they'd cast me as Moby, Peck said with his customary deadpan humor. I hope you will seriously consider that part, Evan insisted. All right, then, Peck grinned at Evan. I'll take it under advisement, young man. Thank you. Evan nodded, then ambled over to Dorothy, Jimmy, Gloria, and Capra, who were all by a banquet table sipping champagne. Strickler, Henry Fonda, and Donna Reed were also in their circle. 
Your movie is sensational, Frank, Strickler bellowed. You were right, and I was wrong. I see that now. We never needed those dreadful scenes we shot. What was I thinking? Capra eyed him warily. Well, I admire a man who can own up to his mistake, Strickler. Ha! Evan shook his head. Strickler kept laying it on thick. I looked at the movie with those scenes, and it just didn't work. It will be your film that the world will see and remember. The triumph! Capra nodded approvingly. Well then, if you're that taken with the film, you'll no doubt remember the young man who helped with the editing and other creative aspects, Evan West. Strickler fixed his gaze on Evan and nodded. Of course. Congratulations, young man. Quite a victory for you, I'm sure. Dorothy tugged at Evan, but Frank Capra suddenly had his arms around them both. Rumor has it I'll be hearing wedding bells soon. Why am I always the last to know about these things? Dorothy blushed. Oh, Mr. Capra, right now we're just having a wonderful time. Right. Let's not start throwing rice quite yet, Evan said as he held Dorothy tight. All evidence is to the contrary, Capra said, eyes merry. Evan swiveled his head and noticed Strickler talking to someone out of earshot. He then saw who Strickler was chatting with. It was Jack, sweaty, and looking like he'd eaten a pound of peppers. Jack was leaning in to Strickler, who was trying to talk above the band's rendition of Old Buttermilk Sky. Evan stepped away from Frank, who was busy flirting with Dorothy. He got just close enough to hear Strickler. Capra doesn't even know that the copy of the print he's putting into the capsule tonight is really my version of the movie. I cut it behind his back, knowing I couldn't win in the short run, so might as well have my version ready for some lucky soul to find in the future. My version, not Capra's. I like to think long-term, Jack. Good thinking, boss, Jack grunted. Thoughts tumbled in Evan's mind at warp speed. Connor would ultimately get Strickler's copy in the capsule, which meant Strickler had struck a 16-millimeter print from the negative, and that meant Evan had stolen the wrong print. He knew tonight he had to get the right print to Frank before he buried Strickler's and burned the negative from those awful scenes. It was nitrate film, so it would go up in seconds. Evan checked his watch. The ceremony at the Chinese theater was an hour away. He saw Jimmy, who gave Evan a salute. Evan headed Jimmy's way and leaned toward him. Thank you, Jimmy, for everything. I really do appreciate it, Evan said. Ah, oh, Evan, you're talking like I won't see you again. And that's just nonsense, Jimmy replied, his eyes warm. I just wanted you to know how much I appreciate everything, Evan said. He knew he was repeating himself, but he couldn't help it. Well, uh, pleasure to have you around, Evan. You're a heck of a guy. Jimmy was distracted by John Ford, who waved him over. See you around, buddy, Jimmy said as he walked away. 
Evan then looked over the crowd and spied Coop, easy to spot due to his height and skin tone. Coop saw him in nearly the same instant and headed his way. I transferred my equipment into the trunk of and back seat of your car. I hope you don't mind. Coop announced loudly over the music and gaiety of the crowd. You gotta help me, Evan shouted. We have to get over to the Chinese theater. Coop was stone-faced. We have a rendezvous with destiny, he objected. No choice, Evan said. I have to do this, and I need your help. Coop looked like he was about to put up a fight, but then nodded. As long as we do this mysterious task with alacrity. Don't worry, it'll be quick. I gotta think of something to tell Dorothy. Evan bit his lip. Tell her you got to do something for the ceremony. You know, for Mr. Capra. Coop suggested. And that you'll meet her at Grauman's afterward. Evan nodded with admiration. Not bad, Coop. It should work. She's a cool girl. She'll understand. Evan heard Capra's voice behind him. I'm going to head on over now to Grauman's with the print. Evan glanced backward. Capra was talking to Jimmy. Just then, Evan saw Dorothy heading in his direction, a wary expression on her face. She stared at Evan and then at Coop. What's going on with you two? She asked, looking as if she knew she wouldn't like the answer. We have to do a favor for Frank. You remember Coop, right? Evan asked. Dorothy nodded and squinted at Coop, who tipped his hat to her politely before moving toward the door. Soon, Evan heard the distant roar of thunder outside. No rain yet, but he knew a storm was coming. It's for the ceremony, Evan explained to a wary-looking Dorothy. Why can't I come and help? She asked. Evan paused. Why not bring her? She might as well know the truth. Sure, come along, Evan invited. But I gotta warn you, what we're doing is right, but maybe not legal. Dorothy furrowed her brow, then smiled. Then let's go. A massive boom of thunder clapped, and then the room went dark for a moment. A titter of concern passed through the space. An instant later, the lights returned and Evan and Dorothy were gone. They hurried out of stage four and toward the valet. Evan didn't have time to wait. He had to get there before Frank. Evan hurriedly asked the valet for his keys and gave the guy his ticket. I can get that for you, the sleepy valet replied, starting to walk off in the direction of the lot. I'd like to get my own car, Evan objected hastily. No, sir, them's the rules. I'll go. And before Evan could stop the guy, he trotted off into the lot. Evan looked at his watch, nervous. Then he heard the familiar sound of a nearby engine and turned, only to watch Frank's Lincoln heading out of the lot in a hurry. Evan's heart sank. There was nothing he could do. The right version of the film had been deliberately mislabeled and was under the mat by the back seat. The wind was already picking up, 
It was about to be a humdinger of a storm. Coop walked over to Evan. He looked nervous. And Evan realized why when he looked over his shoulder and spotted Strickler's muscle-bound lackey, Jack, strutting out the building door. He was headed right for them. Evan grimaced. He didn't want to get into it with this guy or have Dorothy get hurt in the process. Strickler was close behind Jack. The pair must have seen Evan leave. I sense we're about to be in a great deal of danger, Coop said, his voice quavering. I see him, I see him, Evan muttered. The bicycle bell startled all three of them. It was Henry on his old bike with the sidecar. Evening, Mr. West, he said. Hi, Coop. Why aren't you at the party, Henry? Coop asked. Henry gave an odd smile. I made a quick appearance, then ducked out. Got too much work to do. That's kind of my mission, you might say. Work, work, work. Listen, Henry, Evan said quickly. I don't have time to explain, but I need you to buy me a few minutes. Buy you minutes? Evan nodded to Strickler and Jack, who were both picking up their pace. Keep Strickler busy for us, okay? Henry looked to Strickler and Jack. Why, I'd love to be of help, Evan. Dorothy wrapped her arms around him and gave him a quick peck on the cheek. You're an angel, buddy, she said. You could say that, Henry laughed. Next time you're in town, fellers, look me up. He pedaled over to Strickler and turned his bike sideways, creating a small roadblock. Evan could hear Henry talking loudly. Evening, Mr. Strickler. Why, I thought you'd be at the party tonight. Yes, well, business, Mr. Henry, just Henry. The sound of Evan's V8 winding through first gear came nearer. The sleepy valet eased over with agonizing deliberation and pulled up to the curb. Evan, Coop, and Dorothy climbed in as soon as the valet got out. Coop could barely squeeze in the back seat on account of all the heavy machinery he had stacked there so neatly. Evan made sure not to give the guy a tip, even though he held out his hand, and just buzzed off and waved to Henry with a laugh. Strickler and Jack noticed Evan's departure, circumvented Henry, and rushed over to the valet. They are not using the valet, Coop warned from the back seat, staring out the window. They just decked the poor guy and dropped him. Stricker took his key from the box and is heading into the lot. Dorothy looked over her shoulder, then to Evan. She slapped his thigh. This is turning out to be one heck of a fun night, she laughed. Evan floored it, passing through the studio gates and peeling out onto Melrose. The first drops of rain started to fall, and they were not normal drops. They were enormous. Evan drove through the deluge, feeling as if he were in a car wash. He jammed down the gas pedal and fishtailed north onto Highland, then headed for Hollywood Boulevard. Dorothy cheered him on. She didn't have a shred of fear in her. Evan, are you sure you should be driving this fast? Coop asked nervously. Yes, I need to be driving this fast, Evan shouted back. If you slow down, I'll kill you, Dorothy giggled. 
She was having way too much fun. Traffic was heavy, brake lights were up ahead, and Evan felt like he was about to lose his mind from the anticipation of what he knew was about to happen. Come on, go, go! Evan shouted at his Ford. The rain pelted down on the car roof. It felt exactly as it did that Sunday that now seemed so long ago. He put the pedal down, got to Hollywood, and fishtailed a hard left, just missing an ice delivery truck. Dorothy shouted with glee. Man, that was great. Great! They made it to Grauman's just as the awnings were put in place, and already a small crowd had gathered, all holding umbrellas and brimming with curiosity. Evan parked behind Frank's Lincoln, already sitting at the curb. Coop, I need those film cans, Evan shouted. Where? Under there, Evan pointed. They were directly underneath one of Coop's heaviest devices. I need help, Coop yelled. And both Evan and Dorothy ran around the back and did their best to muscle the heavy generator out of the way. Coop reached under and grabbed the film cans, then handed them to Dorothy. Frank was at a podium near the spot where the time capsule was located, practicing his speech. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all here tonight to take a look at how good men can be, how strong they're required to be, and how resilient they are. Frank looked over to see Evan hurrying toward him with Dorothy and Coop, completely drenched. Sorry, Mr. Capra, Evan panted, holding up the film cans. He tricked you. Those reels are the wrong cut. Put these reels in those cans. Frank stared at him, shocked. Are you positive? Absolutely. One hundred percent, Evan assured him. Please trust me on this. Give me those reels and take these for your time capsule. Mr. Capra, thank you for everything. Everything. Capra took a moment, then nodded. All right, West. You haven't let me down yet, kid. Give me that. He snatched the reels from Evan and gave Evan the ones he had held originally. Evan looked back at Coop, who was pointing to his watch. In the distance, they could hear police sirens. Strickler was on their tail and bringing the law with him. Evan was running out of time. He looked at Dorothy, who smiled. Then she registered the look on his face and her smile fell away. I gotta go, Evan murmured. I'm coming with you, she decided. Evan took her in his arms and held her close. You can't come where I'm going, he said quietly. I'm sorry, Dorothy. This is a horrible thing to tell you, but you can't come with me. Dorothy broke away and stared at him with wide eyes. What do you mean I can't come? That's crazy. Of course I can. I want to be with you, Evan West. I love you. No one else. I'll never love anyone but you. Oh no, Evan thought. This is so painful. Worse than I ever thought it would be. He grabbed her shoulders and looked into her eyes. It's too much to explain. But I'm not from here. You can't go where I'm going. I'm... Dorothy slapped him. Wake up, Evan. It's me. We're together. 
You're not going anywhere without me because I won't go anywhere without you. Evan tried to pull back, but Dorothy refused to let him go. No, you cannot go away. No. I have to go someplace. You would not believe it if I told you, Evan said, his voice thick with sadness. Tell me. I knew there was something about you that couldn't be explained. Tears streaked her beautiful eyes. Tell me, because I won't let you go. I will not allow it. She pulled him close and wept into his shoulder as the sirens grew louder. Okay, here goes, Evan said. I'm, how do I say this? I, oh to heck with it. I'm from 2021. I'm from another time, and I have to get back. I'm so sorry, but I have to get back or bad things will happen to you and me. Dorothy drew back, face screwed up in horror. Are you crazy? I know, I know. It sounds that way, but I'm not. If I were crazy, I'd never love someone as wonderful as you. Just please listen to me. Please believe me. I want to stay with you here forever. But I have to go. Evan pleaded. Dorothy just stared, tears trickling down her cheeks, clearly struggling to process all that Evan had told her. I'm going to see you again. I promise. I'll be back. I don't know where or when, but I'll find you, Evan swore, then kissed her deeply. He broke away silently and hurried to his car holding on to Dorothy's hand until the very last minute. They locked eyes one last time. Evan knew it was now or never. He broke away from Dorothy and ran to the car. Coop was already in the back seat, fiddling with his machines. Strickler's Bentley seemed to come out of nowhere. Strickler, uncharacteristically, was at the wheel. The car was just yards away from Evan and moving fast. Jack leaned out the open car door on the passenger side, ready to take a running leap at Evan. Frank, I need your lighter, Evan shouted back toward the podium, and Frank knew exactly what Evan was about to do. He tossed Evan his well-worn Zippo. Evan caught it, opened the negative can of Strickler's version of It's a Wonderful Life, and tossed the reel into the open door of the Bentley. The reel spilled out, like an inky, rolling tongue. Evan held the end of the film as it uncoiled. Jack leaped from the Bentley's running board, his arms outstretched to grab Evan. The reel whirled in and clonked Jack on the side of the head. He stumbled and slammed headfirst into a lamppost, sliding unconscious onto the sidewalk. Evan lit the nitrate negative, and like an angry fuse, It boiled a snake of smoky sparks and flame all the way to Strickler's Bentley. Strickler stopped, but didn't get out. Evan got in his car, looking one more time at Dorothy, who stared back at him in awe. They locked eyes again for an instant. Finally, he had to release himself from her gaze. He cranked the engine and fired away with a screech. He heard an engine roar behind him and looked back. Strickler was gunning it, chasing Evan, who made a sharp right on La Brea 
and Strickler followed. All the police vehicles Strickler had summoned had converged and were now also close behind Evan. Evan gunned it to Franklin and turned the corner, and the heavy equipment in the back of the car made the Ford rear up on two wheels for a second. The car slammed back down, jostling Evan and Coop. Evan was flooring it as soon as he stopped bouncing. Okay, Evan. Now the fun begins. Coop announced and hit a switch on one of the machines in the back seat. A loud buzzing sound erupted. The entire back seat lit up as if filled with the police helicopter's spotlight. The bluish-white light pouring out from the Ford was blinding. Evan blew red lights, approached the corner of Highland, and glanced in his rear view. Strickler was leaned over his steering wheel, a skull-like grimace on his face. The back seat of his car was in flames, but he didn't seem to care. Evan knew at that moment that Strickler was completely insane. Evan skidded a long left onto Highland, heading north, Strickler right behind him. And now we go to phase two. Say goodbye to the power grid, Los Angeles. And with that, Coop hit another switch in the back seat. Sparks flew, and smoke began to pour out of the side windows. Every light along Highland winked out. The stoplights sparked out as well, and all of Hollywood suddenly went dark. The entire city of Los Angeles, from Santa Monica to Pasadena, was curtained in darkness. Every kilowatt of power, gone. Lightning streaked through the skies above. Rain was beating down harder than Evan thought possible. The water was so thick it streamed down the windshield, blinding Evan to what was in front of him. He was now flying on instruments alone. The trunk of Evan's Ford shone red from the intense power being generated. Are we close? Coop shouted over the enormous buzz and sparks. We're close! Evan hollered back, blowing the Coanga light, skidding to the left and heading up to Lake Ridge and Coanga, where the thin membrane of the Earth's magnetic field invisibly hovered. As soon as Evan hit Coanga, he slammed the accelerator all the way to the floor. Strickler's car was faster and still raging with flames. The LAPD Fords that followed were now holding back their drivers having no desire to approach a car that was about to explode. Strickler's Bentley revved faster with its huge 12-cylinder engine, and he slammed into the back of Evan's Ford. Evan kept the car under control. Coop grunted with anger. Final stretch, Evan. This is where we find out if... Strickler smashed into them a second time. Evan struggled to keep the wheel steady. This is it, Evan. Go as fast as you can, Coop shouted. Evan obliged. His speedometer read 76 or so. He would have to go faster. Coop hit another switch. Evan could smell something burning, and it wasn't Strickler's car, which was preparing for another thrust. Coop reached for something, his eyes wide with anger. Evan saw what it was in the rear view that same plasma gun that had saved him before. Coop leaned out the open window and fired it at Strickler's car. Strickler never knew what hit him.
A green and red plasma bubble splashed over his car with the force of King Kong's fist. His Bentley lost control, went into a spin, flipped twice, and then exploded. Strickler was thrown from the car. But from what Evan could see, he got exactly what was coming to him and more. Evan looked ahead. He saw it. The gateway. A vortex of rippling light, fueled by enough power to rip a hole through the thin membrane and break the laws of time and space. Coop pointed at the shimmering vortex ahead. Go, Evan. Go right at it. Right at it. Evan had the car going so fast, he was surprised the engine hadn't blown. The roaring noise of Coop's machines was deafening. Lightning struck the electric pole in front of him. Sparks erupted. Evan could see electroplasmic tendrils forming on the sides of his car. Something was happening. It's working! It's working! Coop screamed at the top of his lungs. Evan could see the pole approaching fast. Sparks were coming down. His car was about to burst into flames, and he could feel extreme heat. The car was barreling crazy fast, right toward the enormous doorway opening, a yawning chasm so majestic and horrible at the same time it scared him to the core of his soul. This was otherworldly, a bridge to another universe, and he was driving right toward it. Evan prayed aloud. God. Don't let me down. Before he was consumed with a bright white light, the last thing he thought was, at least I saved it this time. And then he went unconscious. At Grauman's, the lights came back up. Dorothy didn't notice. Her heart was shattered. Teary-eyed, she looked around and saw Frank. He headed over to her face soft with sympathy. What happened? He asked. Evan left. She stammered. What do you mean, left? He's with us, Frank said. No, he said he was from somewhere else, and he had to go. She broke down, sobbing. Now, Frank shouted. We're just getting started. What the heck? Two LAPD officers in a nearby black and white pulled up fast. One officer hurried out and went to Jack, who was still unconscious on the sidewalk. Jack still had a gun curled in one of his hands. The officer, a young man with a military haircut who looked like he had just returned from Okinawa, reached down and picked up the weapon. Sirens could be heard all over Hollywood throwing an end-of-the-world vibe over the already rain-soaked evening. Dorothy could hear the radio from the nearby LAPD black-and-white crackling. 1050F on Coenga and Lake Ridge. LAFD and LAPD respond immediately. Possible fatalities. The two LAPD officers exchanged quick glances and rushed back to their vehicles, leaving Jack out cold on the sidewalk. Dorothy's eyes were wide with fear. Capra charged over to the two cops. What kind of car was involved? Do you know that? He asked. 
The cops looked unsure. I think we know who's involved in the accident, Frank explained impatiently. The officers motioned for Frank and Dorothy to climb in the back seat. Dorothy's heart fell. Something terrible must have happened to Evan and Coop. Her mind flashed through everything Evan had told her. She couldn't help but wonder if he had gone insane somehow. And the car chase, what had she just witnessed? The two officers cranked up the siren and made a U-turn, heading toward Coanga Pass. Dorothy burst into tears all over again. She could not go through this again. She couldn't lose her only two loves. What had she done to deserve this? Where was God? Frank sat next to her, hand around her shoulder. Miss, I'm sorry. I just hope to heaven this wasn't someone you knew, one of the officers said from the front seat, sympathy in his voice. They made their way through the pelting rain. Ahead, Dorothy could see the roiling orange of high flames despite the heavy downpour. The LAFD was already on the scene, and there were looky-loos everywhere. The police had blocked off the road with smudge-pot railroad flares that burned, bathing everything in an ominous pink-red color. Dorothy saw the fiery wreckage, and what was left of her heart fell through the floor. The black and white stopped. Both Frank and Dorothy piled out, adrenaline on high. A heavy-set woman in a floral pink dress, dripping wet, stopped them, eyes wide, red cheeks aflame. It was terrible, terrible, she shouted. Two cars going like a bat out of hell. One flipped over and the other... I don't know what happened. I can't even think about it. I can't explain what I saw. Dorothy knew she had to find that inner control valve within herself and turn it. She was going to get through this. Stay strong. This was going to tear up her family, especially Richie. But she had to be a rock. She could not falter. They walked toward the fiery wreckage and saw a sheet splayed over a fatality. Frank neared, arm protectively around Dorothy. Oh no, Frank murmured. Terrible. Strickler's fancy Bentley had been smashed to ruin. It looked like a Sherman tank had run over it. Officer, Frank yelled. That's Arthur Strickler's car. It looks like it's been through a war, one of the officers exclaimed. Strickler, you say? Frank nodded, saddened. Arthur J. Strickler. He worked with me at RKO. What a tragedy. Dorothy was almost overjoyed. Not that she was happy he was dead, but at least it hadn't been Evan and Coop. The heat from the burning car was intense. They stopped approaching when a firefighter blocked their way. Don't go any closer, folks. That car might blow at any minute, the firefighter warned. Is there another car? Dorothy asked. No, ma'am, this is it. People shouldn't drive so fast at night in the rain, the firefighter grunted. The heavy-set woman in the rain-soaked dress followed them. She was one of those people who saw an accident 
and then suddenly it was the most important event they'd ever witnessed. Dorothy saw her and drew her close. What happened to the other car? Dorothy asked. It was terrible. I saw it from just over there. I had a flat and heard a terrible humming noise, and two cars were driving like crazy up the pass. The car in front was glowing. Frank came in close so he could hear. The added attention made her puff out her chest and say with added flourish, It was glowing, mister, and it went faster and faster, and then it just vanished. Poof! Like it was never there. Dorothy was immediately relieved. So Evan wasn't dead. He was just... gone? It just vanished, the woman said again, as if answering Dorothy's internal question. That makes no sense, Frank said. Cars don't vanish. This one did. Poof, she repeated. Dorothy and Frank exchanged looks. Frank shook his head. West is one strange bird, I'll give you that. Dorothy, don't worry. He'll be back, Frank assured her. How do you know? She asked. I don't know. Got a knack for these things. Whatever happened to him, search me. But I got a feeling if he ain't dead, which he ain't, he'll turn up again. That's when Dorothy knew. Evan was telling the truth. She smiled. He was from another time. She just had to wrap her mind around that concept. Dorothy knew she'd remember this night for the rest of her life, when she went from the highest high she'd ever experienced to the lowest of lows, and finally to a dull feeling of relief. Not as good a feeling as she would have had if Evan had returned, but relief. And one day, she knew he would return, and she would be waiting. Dorothy looked at Frank. I'll wait for him, she declared. Frank looked at her, frowning, then nodded. He understood. I would, too. Come on. We still have a ceremony, Frank said, and headed back to the car. He looked to Strickler's sheet-covered body and shook his head. Terrible about him. God bless his soul. But people shouldn't drive so fast in the rain.